Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We pray that you're encouraged by today's message from our associate pastor, Peter Vischer. Amen. Church, I want you to say, I am wide open to receive. Amen. I want that to be your heart posture today. We are in a new series in our church as of last Sunday. Oh man, I love it. I just feel like the, the spirit is stirring. The spirit is rising in the Father's house because we're in the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, it takes place after Jesus' death, his uh, resurrection, and after his ascension back to the Father. Pastor Greg said it last week. Uh, the Father's house, or sorry, the, the Father's house is in this series, but the book of Acts is a book of action. It would actually make an amazing TV series. It's just packed with adventure. It's epic. It's amazing. There's miracles. It describes the acts of the apostles, uh, the early church, and most importantly, the acts of Jesus lived out through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit, given in fullness uh, at an event that is called Pentecost. Now, all of that good stuff that we're going to be unfolding in the weeks to come in the book of Acts It's not only meant for the early church, but God is active. The Holy Spirit is active among this church, among the church, and all that stuff is meant to happen in the lives of you and I today in 2023. I believe it when the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So my message this morning is based on Acts chapter 2, and I'm calling it Spirit Filled and Forward. Spirit filled and forward. I love that graphic that Pastor Tyler made. I love that fire that he put on top of that word because that is especially relevant today. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then I'm so excited to jump in today. God, we are indeed wide open to receive from you, Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our church. God, you're moving, you're breathing, you're blowing by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just want to wait upon you this morning. Lord, we want to say set a fire in this church this morning, God. Hallelujah. And Lord, we do pray that uh, you would just move mightily through the word that I've prepared today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, I get asked a question a lot as a pastor, and mostly while I'm out and about in the community, but it's also something that guests often ask. Even people who have attended this church for months or even years ask this question, and that is, what denomination is the Father's house? In other words, what group of Christianity is this church affiliated with? Now, um, my answer changes a little bit. I'll just be honest about that. Most of the time, I say we are an evangelical community church. That's what we are. Uh, We believe in the authority of the Bible as God's revelation to humanity. We believe that people need Jesus to be saved, to enjoy eternity with God. We love our community. We believe the good news, evangelical, the root word is good news, that God loves people, that the news needs to be shared with everybody. Now, sometimes when people ask, what kind of church is this? What group is this church affiliated with? I say, we're a Pentecostal church. We have Pentecostal distinctive. Um, Now, Full disclosure, honest moment, sometimes I get a little agitated 
inside when I say that we're a Pentecostal, charismatic church because there are people that have watched YouTube videos, that have had experiences in church, and they, they just get this weird association when they hear the word Pentecostal. Some of them think about people running around the room, you know, doing cartwheels, uh, rolling on the floor, shouting in non-intelligible words, things like that. I already said it, but the Pentecostal church is closely affiliated uh, with another word. That word is charismatic. Um, And I've heard people have a laugh at Pentecostal charismatic churches and say, oh, well, more like charismaniac, like, (laughs) you know, these people are crazy. They're crazy. Their experience of the Spirit, their expression of faith, and that distracts, that deters some people from coming to a Pentecostal church. But I want to balance the conversation. Many others would say, I love it. And I, I am so refreshed and pleased when people say, so good, because that Pentecostal expression, that charismatic experience provides evidence of a supernatural faith that draws people, or people deeper into a relationship with Jesus. And I just want to say, I think if we truly got what it meant to be a Pentecostal church, we wouldn't be small P Pentecostal. We wouldn't be, uh, you know, shy Pentecostal. We'd be large P, all capitalized Pentecostal because of what the Spirit wants to do in the house of the Lord. Now, sorting out what is legitimate and what is concerning, manifestations, the things that happen within the Pentecostal and charismatic movement, that's not the goal of my message today. I just want to say, some, some people are so eager to have that wrestle when we start talking about Pentecostal church, but I think if we were to tackle those questions, I would be missing an opportunity to highlight an awesome message that the Lord has for the Father's house. But what I will say is the true definition of what it is to be Pentecostal or charismatic, it emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, modern-day miracles as an everyday part of the believer's life life. I love it. That is so good. There's an enthusiastic embrace for the Spirit. You will hear passionate and emotional messages, and you'll experience that zeal and that thirst and that longing in worship. You'll meet people who believe that God heals us. We're talking about healing tomorrow night in our prayer meeting. Body, soul, spirit, and people who have experienced the healing. Last time I preached, I talked about God healing my knee. It's never been the same again. It's been completely healed. Some Christians experience a very intimate experience with the Lord while speaking in a spiritual language. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the context of Acts chapter 2. That's the gift of tongues, and many people in this church enjoy and have received that gift. Now, to clarify what happened in Acts chapter 2, last week we did Acts chapter 1, I also want to say that this gift was not just meant for one part of the church. This grace gift, this gift of favor, God pouring out His Spirit, this is God's intention for the whole church. Every church needs the Holy Spirit. Every believer who eagerly desires to be filled with the Spirit can experience that grace gift, that outpouring that God has for His church. Amen? All right, so with that, let's jump into the Word. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. We're going to pause there. There's a lot. Beginning with some context, what was Pentecost? What is Pentecost? Pentecost was the best attended of the great feasts in Israel, mostly because the traveling conditions were amazing. Everybody's like, let's go to Jerusalem. It brought a big crowd. There was never a more multicultural gathering in Jerusalem than Pentecost. People of various cultures who spoke different languages, they came from other nations, devout Jews, to present the first fruits of the wheat harvest to God. And so it was this, I want you to think about this, this joyful, culturally diverse party that celebrated the harvest, and historically, it also marked the day when the law was given to Israel. Now, I just nerd out on the theology here. I think it's so cool. Um, Pentecost celebrates the first fruits of the harvest. What we're about to see is Pentecost presenting the first fruits of a spiritual harvest. The Spirit filling the disciples. 3,000 people added to the first church in the book of Acts. Come on, it's awesome. Another amazing parallel is the Old Testament day of Pentecost was the day on which Israel received the law. But on the New Testament day of Pentecost, the church received the Spirit of grace in fullness. Hallelujah. It's amazing. So how did that happen? Luke 24, verse 49, we're jumping back to the book of Luke. We just did that series before our Acts series. Uh, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from heaven. So that is exactly what these people are doing. These disciples, there are about 120 of them. They're gathered for 10 days. They're in unity. They're praying together. They're waiting. And then, boom, Acts chapter 2, verse 2, a wind there came a sound from heaven. The association was like a mighty wind that filled the house where they were meeting. And in the original languages of the Bible, Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit is the same word for breath or wind. Wow. The breath of God comes and begins blowing in the house. The symbolism here, church, is awesome. It's amazing. It reminds us of Genesis chapter 1 when the spirit as breath Wind is blowing over the waters of creation, the newly created world. Um, Genesis chapter 2, the spirit is being blown into the newly created man. Same word. The same word is used in Ezekiel 37. The spirit as breath and wind moves over the dry bones of Israel, brings them to life again. And so I'm painting a picture for you here. What is happening? This event represents fresh life new life for these Christians who were so eager to receive it. Now, moving on, it says that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each of them. This seems crazy, but they saw something, something physical, uh, probably not a real fire, but a spiritual figurative fire. It had a lot of meaning. It had a lot of symbolism. Now, um, 
oh man, when you're reading commentary, when you're studying, when you're praying, and suddenly God's just downloading things to you, um, I'm going to give you a sentence. It just unpacks the entirety of my message that's going to come. I'm going to give you my thesis, and you're going to have a bit of a laugh at me because I love wordplay. It makes me excited. Um, This is my whole message in one line. All right, it's going to come up on the screen for you. Pentecost represents an event where God's purity, passion, pleasure, permanence, power, and purpose were given to Christians through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is what happened at Pentecost. That's a lot of alliteration. I probably could have found another three or four words. I was thinking about peace. I was thinking about protection. I was like, I just wanted to keep going. But God's purity, passion, pleasure, permanence, power, and peace were given in full by the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is a loaded statement for you, church. Let me unpack this for you, starting with God's intention for purity. John the Baptist said about Jesus, before Jesus launched into ministry, what did he say? He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, that same theme is emphasized. There's so many scriptures um, in the Bible, but I pulled out Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, what is happening What is happening when God gives us His Spirit? God is purifying us. God is wanting to wash us. We see that first in baptism, but baptism is is a first step. This is a subsequent infilling of the Holy Spirit that puts you in like this sanctification wash cycle for the rest of your life where everything that is not supposed to be there is being rinsed and removed and purified from your life. You need to be a willing participant in that and say, God, yes, those thoughts, those attitudes, those perspectives, those behaviors, they're not who you called me to be. Burn, God. Burn in my heart, Lord. Spirit of Christ, sanctify me. Wash me every day and in every moment. I love the analogy of fire. God, consume my old life the messes, the mistakes, and help me to be a pure vessel for you, refined by fire. The Bible talks about gold and silver being refined in the fire. Hallelujah. God is purifying by His Spirit. Amen. Now, remember when Jesus was baptized by John? A little bit of a different spirit baptism that we see there. Uh, In that same story, Jesus is baptized in water, and then He comes up, and if you remember the story, what happens? A dove descends in bodily form, like a dove over Jesus' head. When Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, he got a dove. (laughs) When the disciples were Spirit-baptized, they got fire. We get fire. Can I tell you why? It's because a dove symbolizes purity in Scripture. Jesus was pure, nothing to burn. You and I God is purifying us. And guess what? When we reach eternity one day, 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says fire will test the quality of each person's work. And so here's my encouragement for you. What if if God were to come back tomorrow, next week? Let the fire of God burn inside of you now because one day in eternity when we stand before Christ, our works will be tested by fire. All right, next word. Passion. Passion. 
God gives us his spirit to ignite us with courage, confidence, and zeal. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, I love this text. Uh, The prophet says, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. Church, there is nothing more awesome than being on fire for God. If you light yourself on fire, people will come from all around to watch you burn. That's why, we, that's why we come to hear Pastor Greg preach on Sundays. He's just burning up the stage with passion. Amen? I'm getting a little fiery this morning myself. Hallelujah. But it's not something that you can fabricate. It's not something that you can fake. There were people in the Bible, Moses, Gideon, Jonah, Elijah, and others. They wanted to give up. They lost heart. They struggled with fear and motivation. And in every one of those stories, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, God breathed His Spirit on them. He lit a fire in them. Man, they stood against kings, armies, cities, nations. They stood before enemies to proclaim the truth of God's Word. And I don't know that because I've read a few Bible verses. I've struggled with that fear. I've struggled with that lack of confidence. There, uh, starting in grade nine for me and continuing, very occasionally it pops up when I'm speaking, when I'm reading, when I'm praying. I get choked up. I can't breathe. And, and Lord, forgive me, I've turned away from opportunities to speak, to pray, to be involved because I'm afraid. And the only thing I don't think it was self-help or reading any books. The only thing that helped me to get through that was to get passionate about God, was to get in His presence. I would allow the Spirit to breathe on the fading embers of my heart. And when I would read the Bible and listen to worship and spend time in prayer and listen to messages on repeats and gather with other passionate believers, those embers would flicker. Those embers would create a blazing fire that would build as I prioritized the presence of God. It can be the same for you. If you feel you're fading, if you feel like you're flickering out, the Holy Spirit wants to light you up. He wants to set you ablaze for God. The Spirit is representative, next word, of God's pleasure. This one's a little bit weird. It's representative of God's pleasure. In the book of Leviticus, And in the Old Testament, God would show his special pleasure by lighting the sacrifice himself. We see that in Leviticus chapter 9. That happened with Moses and Aaron. Uh, David in 1 Chronicles 21, we see it again. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 with Solomon. Fire from heaven. Fire from heaven would come and consume the sacrifice. Pentecost is an example of God sending fire to show his pleasure, but this time the fire came upon living sacrifice. Living sacrifices. You and I, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, when the aroma of your life When the aroma of your life is pleasing and good to God, he will light you as a demonstration of his pleasure. And I don't mean that to say, you know, God's only going to set a fire when I am perfect, when I only make the right choices, when I only do things that make him proud. Obviously, you can fuel that fire by being obedient, by being submissive, by being led by the Holy Spirit. 
but because you and I are viewed through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are permanently marked with the pleasure of the Father. There is a fire that will never die. Christ's sacrifice created a fire that goes on and on and on. That flame is fueled because when God sees you, His Son, His daughter, He sees you through the perfect sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. That relates to the next word, permanence. Uh, Acts chapter 2, it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Um, I was contrasting that with the New King James Bible. It says, and one sat on each of them. And one sat upon each of them. If you dig into the meaning of the phrase rested on them, sat on them, it is implying very strongly that the flame remained on each believer. It's indicating permanence of position, permanence of condition. Under the old covenant, the spirit would rest on God's people more as a nation. Under the new covenant, the spirit rests upon people as individuals. One flame sat upon each. Now, this had never happened before. This emphasizes the point that God was coming on individuals. In the old covenant, we see in, uh, in the book of Exodus, the nation being led by a pillar of fire in the wilderness. In the new covenant, which you and I are a part of, each one of us receives a flame to guide us, to lead us. Hallelujah. God will never forsake you. He will never leave you. If you're, being, if you're afraid of being left alone, be encouraged. There's a flame. It's the flame of the Holy Spirit that is upon you. It's there permanently. You are sealed and marked by God. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father. He will give you an advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He lives with you. He will be with you. What a fellowship. Amen? What a privilege to be marked by the Holy Spirit. Before Pentecost, the Spirit was kind of dripped upon certain people, um, prophets and leaders and kings, and God would soak individuals at a particular time for a particular purpose. Pentecost changed that. Those who receive Christ and live with Him and for Him, you have the opportunity to be soaked to be filled, overflowing, to have the Spirit poured out upon you. Ephesians talks about be filled continually, all the time with the Holy Spirit. This is yours. This is the gift that God has for you. You can grow in that anointing that God has on your life. And so the wind of the Spirit, coming back to the story now, the breath of God blows upon the house, individual flames, and then what happened? We're going to move now to verse 4, Acts chapter 2. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, there was a commotion, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. All right. Total honesty here, and maybe this is the case for some of you in the Father's House Church. Before I started coming to TFH, I didn't know anything about speaking in tongues. Nothing. 
Zero before I came into this church. I spent 18 years of my life in the Baptist church, a little bit in the Alliance church, a little bit in the Evangelical Free Church, uh, not one Sunday in the Pentecostal church. And when I found out my mom in 2006, probably the spring of 2006, had started coming to this church, I called her because I did high school away from home and I said, You're crazy. What are you doing? Going to a Pente- Those people are nuts. What are you doing in a Pentecostal church? And then I came, and I was like, all right, I'm going to make my mom happy. I'm going to come and check out this church, June of 2006. And then later, I was like, I'm going to go to their youth camp. I'm going to check this out a little bit more. September youth camp, we've been doing it every single year since, I think, 2005. And at that time, Pastor Matt Sampson, anybody remember Matt Sampson? Yeah, a few hands going up. He was the youth pastor at that point. And it's, uh, it's um, pre-service prayer. And Matt is pacing in front, and he's praying in tongues. He's fervently, passionately, he's just getting stirred up. He's just praying and praying. And I thought, these are the holiest people on the planet. They've memorized Hebrew. (laughs) That is what I thought. They've memorized Hebrew. And I remember thinking, 18 years in the church, nobody's taught me Hebrew. Like, what? It was amazing to me. And so now, almost 17 years later, I've learned a little bit. I think there's a lot more to learn about this gift. But I want to share with you what I've learned. What I know is that there are different kinds of tongues, and each one serves a special purpose in the life of the church. Now, first of all, the languages that resulted when the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, I want you to know that they were real languages. They were real languages. Pentecost, this is what I mentioned in my introduction, um, extremely culturally diverse event. Devout Jews from many, many nations, different places had come to the festival to offer sacrifices. Verse 7 through 11, we're not going to read it, um, but it describes people from nations that we would now know as Israel, Palestine, Iran, Iraq, Mesopotamia, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, and others. They're all in Israel. They hear this noise, maybe the sound of a rushing wind, maybe a commotion of people speaking in languages, and they come running, and they hear these Galilean Jews. I'm going to let you know why I say Galilean. Speaking different languages, and they're shocked. What is going on? I intentionally said Galilean because apparently they talked really funny. They talked funny. God chose the most unlikely group of speakers to begin free-flowing in another language. Does anybody know anyone from Newfoundland? (laughs) I'm looking at the front row. I'm looking at Betty. I'm looking at Pastor Hayward and Effie. But does anybody know anybody from Newfoundland? You can't understand a word they're saying. Does anybody know any of those Newfies? I worked with one. Here in Morinville at the pet food factory, I had no idea what he was saying. Why do I mention that? This would be like running over to a crowd to discover a bunch of newfies eloquently speaking in Spanish. That's the way, they're just like gracefully just free-flowing in Spanish. You were like, what is going on? There are thousands of testimonies, church, people who are prompted by the Spirit of God to speak in a spiritual language, in an angelic tongue, and and they don't know it's an angelic tongue. Somebody approaches them and says, how did you learn Ukrainian? 
how did you, how are you speaking Dutch or German? How, how are you doing that? When I was in discipleship school, we spent an entire day with a missionary. I don't know if you're going to believe me, but I saw it, I heard it with my own ears. This guy had supernaturally received several languages by the Holy Spirit. It was awesome. <laughs> He had spent almost no time learning all these different languages, spoke them perfectly, spoke them fluently. It was just like, wow. And so it's important to know that tongues may be a real language, but let's move on to the second kind. The, t- the Bible also shows that tongues are not often in an earthly language. Very often they're not. Um, this next verse, this is very specific to something that was happening in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, it says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you, won't, you, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. There are some people who speak in tongues in church, and what the Bible talks about is there's another gift called the gift of interpretation. Somebody will listen to that message in an angelic tongue, and they'll discern what God is saying, and they'll provide an interpretation in the common language so that the people can be edified. There are others who enjoy a spiritual language to enrich their time with the Lord. That's me. I've never shouted out in tongues in church before, but I love speaking in tongues. I enjoy it. It's an intimate way to connect with Jesus. I will speak in tongues when there's a situation that calls for added spiritual authority. There was one time, it was crazy. I woke up in the night and immediately, it's like my body thrust me into speaking in tongues. I think there was a spiritual attack happening in my home and, and it's like I didn't even have a choice. It was the craziest thing. I just thrust up and I just began speaking in my spiritual language. And boom, peace came. Power came. Protection came right there on that moment. So we can, it's like I speak in tongues to dispel the darkness. I speak in tongues when I don't know what to pray. There's a verse in Romans 8 that talks about that, that, you know, God, God moving upon those groans and those spiritual words that are not expressed in, in a common language, and God is moving in a way that only He can. Now, not every believer currently speaks in tongues. Um, not every Christian currently is fully engaged in every other spiritual gift either. But I believe with all my heart that every Christian can grow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can seek them. We can develop them. We can enjoy them. We can minister to others through them. If this is something that you're longing for, if this is like, wow, I didn't even know that these people spoke in angelic languages, like, oh my goodness, this is a lot to take in. We're going to be talking about this more over the coming weeks. Pastor Greg is going to be sharing more about the five instances in the book of Acts where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Three of them, very specifically, people responded by speaking in tongues. Two others, are, it's very strongly implied that that was the result. Now, this leads me to my next word. The next result of God's Spirit in the life of a believer is power. Power. And we love power. We get excited about power. But I want to clarify that God doesn't give us power so that we can benefit ourselves. 
I think maybe that is some of the accusation that the charismatic movement has come under. God doesn't give us power so that we can benefit ourselves. He gives us power so that we can become more like Jesus and we can lead more people to Jesus. That is why God gives us power. That is the point, in fact, of this entire chapter. It's not that we feel the wind on our faces. Oh, I feel wind on my face. That might happen. It's not that we feel heat in our bodies and, oh, wow, I feel heat in my body. That might happen. It's not that we get to speak in angelic languages. That might happen. It's amazing. It's awesome. But it's that God would give you power to receive everything else that I've talked about in this message so far. God wants to purify you. God wants to purify you. He wants to ignite you with passion. He wants you to be strong and secure in a permanent identity that he's given to you. God has placed his fire on you because he's pleased with you. He loves you, and now he gives you power. What is he giving you power for? Power to witness, power to die to yourself and to live for God, power to share your faith with others. These things are so important. They're so awesome. They're so amazing. Some people get so hyped about tongues and miracles, and I agree. Man, there's a party there. It's, it's awesome. It's exciting. But what if, and this is a, just something else that God kind of dropped in my heart this week. What if it looks different than that, specifically to the gift of tongues? What if God is giving you the power to speak the language of those around you, but what if it's not actually through a different language? What if God gives you power to specifically understand by his spirit what another person is going through? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be awesome? There's compassion, there's empathy, there's the ability to relate to somebody, and out of that, you know exactly what to say. To bless them, to encourage them, comfort them, lead them to Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, you're, you're ministering to them, you're praying with them, you're listening to them, you're talking with them, and they say, oh, you're speaking my language. Yeah. Has that ever happened? Yeah. It's like you're speaking my language. It means I have found a person who understands me when not everybody else can understand what I've gone through or, or the, how I grew up, my history. That's not a deeply theological explanation of Acts chapter 2, but I think it's relevant. I think it's kind of cool. I believe that it represents the heart of what we see at Pentecost. God wants to individually equip and empower people to share the message of Jesus in a way that they can understand. I believe that. God wants to individually equip and empower people to share the message of Jesus in a way that they can understand. We need power from on high to listen and to speak to people in a way that they can comprehend God. And what we see at Pentecost is people understanding each other, speaking common languages. Of course, some people thought, these people are out of their mind. Verse 13, people made fun of them. They've had too much wine. It wasn't true. God was doing something good. God was doing something edifying, wonderful, helpful. God is not the God of confusion and chaos. He has a good purpose for filling people with his spirit. And so if you're timid this morning, if you've been shaken by something, you know what? And on the other hand, good that God shakes you up. Good that God gets you out of your comfort zone. Just because it's out of your comfort zone doesn't mean that it's not God. It can be good. God has a good purpose for filling people. 
It's all for the purpose of seeing people know Jesus. All these disciples are praying and praising God and proclaiming his works in different languages. Many are amazed, some are confused, and then I love this. The apostle Peter gets up and explains what's going on. I love that. I love that Peter brought order and clarity to the moment. He references the prophet Joel. He talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This has been talked about, everybody. God is giving people dreams and visions and prophecies. He talks about the book of Psalms, and he explains Jesus' identity and purpose. He preaches with power and authority. Think about Peter. Wasn't this the guy that denied Jesus? Wasn't this the guy that went running when a little schoolgirl asked, do you know Jesus? Didn't I see you with Jesus? Who is this guy that's filled with the Holy Spirit now? Come on. He's not afraid. Power. Power. There's a fire in his belly. Peter was saying, you were wrong about Jesus. He's saying this to thousands of people. You crucified him as if he were a criminal, but by the resurrection, God proved that he is Lord and Messiah. And Peter wasn't just quietly saying it. He is before thousands of people like a herald proclaiming the works of God and the works of Jesus. Jesus died for you. He came for you. And now he is sending you his spirit. And that relates to my last word. We're going to conclude in just a moment. People heard God's purpose. People heard God's purpose for them. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That is another work of the Holy Spirit. He's the convictor of sin. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people accept Jesus and are added to the church that day. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. We're gonna invite the band to come. But I want to ask you in closing, which one of those words stood out to you today? Was it purity? The cry of your heart is, God, burn those things from my life that are sinful, that are selfish. You have so much better for me, God. Purify me, cleanse me, wash me. Maybe that's a word for somebody in the room today. Passion was the next word. You feel like you're lacking motivation. You feel as though your walk with God is dry, mundane, lifeless. And you would say, God, breathe on me. Blow on me by your Holy Spirit. Believe for a fresh fire of passion. Hallelujah. How about pleasure or permanence? Many people feel that God could never be pleased with them. God doesn't love them. God has left them. God is far away. That could not be further from the truth. In Jesus' mighty name, I'm just believing that God would set a fire on you, a fire of love and acceptance for those in this room who don't feel good enough. Spirit of God, rest like a flame upon those who feel that way. Power. Power to speak the language of your kids. I'm beginning to need that with my eight-year-old. I can't believe it. Power to speak the language of my spouse, of your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, complete strangers. God, empower us today to witness to those around us. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.